bottom line, suicide is a part of the human condition. And the whole aspect of how important it is to just even be able to talk about it. They feel like they're on an island, they're isolated, nobody else is going through this. Prevention involves mentioning the word suicide and really stressing seeking help. And now, the Safety Zone. Welcome, folks, to a new episode of The Safety Zone with Mike McCarty. And today we're going to talk about a very important topic because September is Suicide Prevention Awareness Month. And as with everything we do at Safe Hiring Solutions and Safe Ministry Solutions, we're all about prevention, keeping people safe. And suicide is certainly a topic that is vital, especially today. And it is also vital in the church to talk about. So we have a very special guest today. His name is Glenn Bloomstrom. Glenn is the Director of Faith Community Engagement at Living Works Education. It's an international suicide intervention training company. And he's also, and I know this seminary very well, Glenn, an adjunct professor for pastoral counseling at Bethlehem Seminary, Minneapolis, Minnesota. And Glenn also served on active duty as a U.S. Army chaplain for 30 years, retiring as a colonel. And we thank you, thank you, Glenn, for your service. Recently, he was project lead for an online suicide prevention training program for ministry leaders entitled Living Works Faith. So, Glenn, welcome. And Mike, I am going to turn it over to you to get this started. Awesome. Well, again, welcome, Glenn. We're, we're glad to have you on. And maybe before we really get into a lot of what we want to talk about, why don't you give us kind of the helicopter view of everything you're doing at Living Works and the different areas at Living Works? Well, thanks uh, for the welcome, Mike and Melinda. It's a privilege to be with you today on this broadcast. Yes, so I became acquainted with Living Works education when I was working at the Pentagon and overseeing policy and training for our, at that time, 1,500 chaplains. And we were doing PowerPoint things and had some of the best researchers. But, you know, when I was introduced to one of their programs, the Applied Suicide Intervention Skills Training, I just knew that was something that military chaplains needed. So it started in the Army. And it went to all the service chaplaincies, and eventually, Living Works programs were instituted in DOD. So I retired and worked in the seminary full time for a while, and then I just missed interacting with with just a very broad spectrum of people. Worked in the military director for a Living Works, and there I became more acquainted with one of their newer programs, a four hour program called Safe Talk. And since I joined the company. They've developed a 90-minute intervention program called Living Works Start that's fully online. And over the last two years, my heart has been really focused on ministry leaders, training uh, ministry leaders to be confident and competent in caring for their people. So this new program, Living Works Faith, just came out in um, October of 2020. And it's slowly, organically been rolling out just through relationships to help equip leaders in churches, ministries around the country and the world. So I guess the million dollar question is, as COVID continues, I 
think a couple months ago, I was using the phrase as we're coming out of it, but I don't know if that's a fair thing to say anymore. So the pandemic, help us understand what it looks like today. What's the pandemic done? We know a lot about mental health and and being isolated and a lot of other areas. How has that impacted suicide or suicidal ideations or thoughts that people are having? Well, there's been recent research that came out that one in four young adults, 24 and younger, during the pandemic had considered suicide themselves. I think people were very, very isolated. Yes, we all are grateful for Zoom. I wish I had invested in Zoom uh, prior (laughs) to 2020. (laughs) Um, But uh, what we found in the local church is people, those that had that capability, people felt very disconnected. And even as we're coming back together, people are worried, those who have health risks, about coming back to face-to-face training now because of the Delta variant. But what we saw was there was the fear of a perfect storm, loss of job, loss of connection to uh, relationships, the economy, how would it do, and then the barriers to mental health treatment. Just professional training, they had not fully embraced telemedicine. But after COVID, now it's become a standard for for most secular therapists for counseling. So many of the things we feared, our our economy's collapsing, but still what we saw was the magnification through social media of isolation, disconnection, and a lot of self-medication because people who would go to AA and things like that, they relapsed. So those are things that we're beginning to see. Now, as we're coming out of it, We've also seen that uh, an intensification of things that were once political are now manifesting themselves through social media where people are talking about things they don't like. And in some settings, my own church, perceptions of being to the right or to the left or falling into certain categories are also beginning to splinter some uh, of our ministries and some of our churches. And so we're seeing that. And whenever you have these kinds of things that are shaking a lot of the things that we've held dear, well, God is sovereign in these things. I think we need to get off of social media and talk to people face to face and be a, less, a little less blunt. So all those things are affecting people's ability to seek help, to, to talk to others and to trust people they talk to. Well, Melinda, I know you had shared an article a few weeks ago, and you, you may remember it better than I do, but I know kind of the headline was one in 10 pastors mm-hmm. had had thoughts of suicide during yes. the pandemic. Yes. That to me was a major wow. Yes. And, and, and I think, Glenn, that speaks to, speaks to the church is not exempt. We are not exempt, including leadership, to see that article. And of course, we have seen headlines, and I've known a couple of pastors indirectly through ministries I had worked with that took their lives. And one had led 
a suicide prevention group himself, not the training, but just like a, an outreach fellowship. Glenn, why, A, why, why do you think we're seeing this? But B, what do you feel is the impact with the church? It's obvious that the church needs to be a part of this conversation. Well, bottom line, suicide is a part of the human condition. So some of those very high visibility suicide deaths, there was recently a pastor's wife in a very large, influential megachurch, and she was dealing with severe postpartum depression. Mm. I've, I, I've known some of our wives in our, in our congregation who the husbands and family members would get very nervous with the good news of a pregnancy than knowing that that dark shadow of postpartum depression had, had been there for every pregnancy. So I think in the case of, of these pastors, and again, magnified because of uh, COVID and because of some of the things I just mentioned, where do I fit? Have I failed? 70%, in fact, I, I need to think about this, uh, the vast majority of churches in the United States, 93% of congregations in the United States are 70 members or less. Okay, So if you don't have the money for online worship, you can't see your people. Of course, you're going to say, well, how do I fit? Where do I fit? So we have some of these very high visibility suicides. But if pastors in these smaller congregations are not able to provide for their families, mm. don't have an outlet, it's very, very challenging for them with their identity and calling. Now, thank God for these pastors in rural and smaller settings, but there are many we don't know about. I know of a priest who in South Carolina was COVID positive. He was mm -hmm. beloved. He was a very beloved priest, and he died by suicide. So mm -hmm. what was he thinking when he became COVID positive? Mm -hmm. These things affect people differently but it's a part of the human condition. Mm -hmm. And because of that, we have members in congregations that are struggling. And you, you would think the first person they go to would be the pastor. Sometimes that's not the case, or sometimes is it a situation where the pastor doesn't know how to handle the situation or, or refers them. Glenn, I mean, that's really what you're doing, right, is getting this training in. So, you know, talk to us about that. Why is it so critical for, for pastors or leaders, ministry leaders, to really be trained and to be that stopgap, that first person? Well, most seminaries, three-year graduate Master of Divinity programs, typically offer one class in pastoral counseling. Their emphasis is on theology and the languages, preaching. And that's just not enough, one class, because a large percentage of time is spent talking to people. And so a lot of our graduates say, this is not my role. I'm not trained in that area. And so when a person comes in with sometimes complex issues, there's great empathy and care. But my go-to is to remind them of theology and who God is and God's sovereignty and comfort spiritually. But I think we need to understand. So in our seminary, we have a three class and one class is all on common issues you're going to face. 
So most of the training must be done on the job or with professional education. So people will go to their pastor assuming that they'll they'll respond and know what to do, but frequently they can tell almost immediately, ooh, pastor's uncomfortable. My ministry leader is uncomfortable. They're not quite sure what to do. And some, even larger settings, there's a policy. We do not do counseling except for spiritual counsel. We will refer all. So that's the dilemma. And when you have, when you're not prepared, these areas are not your domain. And then people are reluctant to go because they might equate having suicidal thoughts with a lack of faith. And so, well, I, I love the Lord but I cannot get over these things. So I'm not even going to talk to my ministry leader because I don't want to be judged. I believe, I've prayed, but still I'm struggling with not only mental illness, which manifests itself in the second and third decades of life, but also crises, things that are upcoming, relationship problems, substance use that's problematic, that's been kept secret. Pastors need to understand these things, and over time, most will develop networks. But when it comes to suicide, there are very few pastors that have at least a third that have no training in suicide intervention and prevention, and the other two-thirds, five hours or less. So we're trying to raise that with our efforts. Mm. Would it be a fair statement, Glenn, that uh, most people that are having thoughts of suicide, you mentioned, A, the fear of coming forward because I, mean, I grew up in a church and I would hear people when I was a kid say about somebody that committed suicide, well, they went straight to hell. This is an unpardonable sin. Exactly. And, you know, in the back of my mind, I've always thought, ooh, you cannot do that. Right. That's the one sin that's going to get you. So there's this feeling or belief. But then I'm assuming, just like victims of domestic abuse or sexual abuse, they feel like they're on an island, they're isolated, nobody else is going through this. And then when they get that kind of glossed over, glassed over, uncomfortable reaction, after they finally disclosed it and all the barriers that have kept them from disclosing, that could compound, I would think, some of the thinking. Well said, Mike. Yes. This is called stigma. And there's a lot of stigma about many things in, in churches that cause people to leave. There's stigma about a failed marriage and a divorce. The church doesn't know what to say, but stigma is a mark of disgrace that's either internal or that's externally projected. And if pastor doesn't talk about suicide, pray for people with thoughts of suicide or who struggle with mental illness, we will reinforce the mysterious aspects that surround all these things. Now, I would bet my life that most pastors are going to talk about grace and forgiveness and the love of God. And But yet, when it comes to some of these things, well, don't talk about suicide or you'll increase the number of people who are thinking mm. of suicide. No, you won't. But if you pray for people and if you mention suicide as part of the human condition, you're going to see more people because now they'll say, well, I can talk to pastor about this. And then if you have that as part of a prevention effort and you're trained to know what to do, then you don't reinforce stigma, but you reinforce help 
seeking before there's a death by suicide or an mm-hmm. attempt that results in tremendous disability afterwards. So I, I think we're moving societally, but there are still many pockets where we will not talk about these kinds of things in the church. And so prevention involves mentioning the word suicide and really stressing seeking help. And then having people in the church that are prepared to have that conversation. Mm. Well, it's interesting because as you're talking, and Melinda, you'll remember when Jim McLaughlin came on the podcast months and months ago, Jim's a big friend of mine. And Jim was a child sex abuse detective for 30 years. And Jim told me as a rookie, when they sent him to Boston to get trained, his first reaction was, well, what did I do wrong? Why would I don't want to do that? I've And what happened is he heard adults talk about what happened to them as children. And he said, it profoundly changed my life to where he dedicated 30 years But what has really stuck with me is he said, when I got back to my little Keene, New Hampshire, he said, I was so engaged in wanting to help. I went out to all what he called the animal clubs, the elks, the moose, the all (laughs) these groups. And he was doing luncheons. And and then what happened? People went home and they started talking about it with their spouse. And then you had children hear this and the disclosure rates went sky high. Because for the first time ever, a child had heard their parents talking about something they had been told was taboo, but mm. just the mere hearing a mm-hmm. parent or somebody talk about it, they reached out for help. Mm-hmm. Exactly. That is a such a powerful illustration, Mike. So when the church becomes involved in suicide prevention and talking about it, you must have people prepared to make interventions confidently Mm -hmm. without being frightened. And the only way to do that is to have quality training that will prepare you and that will prepare our youth leaders to understand how to talk to their peers. Because we know that some of the most powerful influences for youth suicide and other behaviors are other youth who are struggling. And we call this contagion. So we must be prepared because the youth are talking about it. So leaders need to do that. And key youth leaders in in youth groups need to be prepared. And then you have to know a protocol, who to refer to. And that's why we believe in different levels of training for different roles. Mm -hmm. So you have like a CPR role with a basic 90-minute online training. Then you have a a first-aid role with a half-day training. And then we have the program I mentioned a bit ago, Applied Suicide Intervention Skill Training. I think all pastors should be trained and assist. It's the same standard as volunteer crisis line workers are trained. And if Mm. they were trained at that, then you have internal referrals and you don't stigmatize people by immediately going to the emergency room, which can be stigmatizing in itself. And then the more people talk about it, the more interventions will be made and people will be prepared. So it's just like yes. the illustration you said, but it begins with training. The training, and it's interesting, the whole aspect of how important it is to just even be able to talk about it. Because what that does is it takes, not only does it take down that wall and in the stigma, but 
all of a sudden you're not isolated. You're not the weirdo <laughs> over exactly. there. Exactly. Where and especially in the Christian faith, of which we of course are all are here on this particular podcast, are all Christians, that's always been the power of the testimony. Yes. Because people relate when you hear someone else came out of a domestic violence situation, or you hear someone had been abused when they were, were younger, or whatever the depression or suicide that struggled right. with that. All of a sudden, you have hope because you realize, you know, it's not just you. It's not just you have an issue, but you're all of a sudden surrounded by people that do understand. And I think that part is just half the battle as well, isn't it? Yes, it, it certainly is, Melinda. When there's a suicide, let, let's talk about one of those smaller 70-person member churches. When there's a suicide in a small community, everybody knows. And mm. they see the ambulance pull up. And eventually, such and such died. But there's no detail. And people might know, well, I know that that individual was struggling with depression. I'll bet it was suicide. And so then you have a memorial service. And if the pastor does not address it, then it does not become prevention for the people that are in the room. And so as many as 136 people are connected to any suicide death and even a suicide attempt. So what do we do when you have that kind of ripple effect? Exactly. People tell their story of getting help. And so when we talk about this, is this all the pastor's responsibility? No, it's the people of God who have gone through these things. We do it with other things like severe financial issues, cancer. People tell their stories. And we have survivors of suicide attempts, those who have lost loved ones who now are advocates. They can tell a story of suffering and deep despair and how the church helped them and what it took to get them to now be an advocate for suicide prevention. It's anything when a person gets help. And then also talking to somebody, Mike, you raised that, or I can't remember if you raised it a moment ago, or Melinda. When a person is isolated, it's all these thoughts are going around in their head. But when they finally talk to somebody, they can organize that. And the listener, instead of saying, hey, you need to do this, 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 and this, do you have a plan? No, no, no. Before you do all of that telling what to do and even talking about a plan, what we say is, tell me more. And so we listen to the part that wants to die. And eventually, as we listen well, we'll begin to hear a turning point. And that's something we teach and assist. It's an advanced skill. Don't try to talk people out. Listen. And you will hear a turning point and then say, you know, what you just said sounds like we might want to keep you safe for now. And then it's a nuanced skill. But any volunteer counseling line worker can learn it. So can lots of people learn that skill. So that's what training does. And then when we have these advocates, they can go out and be advocates in their communities and states and regions. Wow. I'm thinking of youth pastors that care for our kids, especially those middle school age and above. And you're talking about pastors aren't getting this at seminary, and many of them may or may not have even gone to seminary. Exactly. So my assumption is going right. to be that they've had little to no 
training, and yet they are probably one of the most trusted confidants of these children. Mm-hmm. Yes, indeed. And our programs are used in schools, school counselors, teachers, but youth pastors are a prime group of people. But like I said, youth themselves can be very influential in helping. But also at the other end, people who deal with the elderly, those who deliver meals on wheels, life-giving connections. When someone brings a meal and says, hello, how are you? Mm -hmm. And even if that person is a widow or widower, a person that sees them every day or five days a week or something might notice a change and Mm. could ask about suicide. And then also those who are working with middle-aged men. We've seen a tremendous increase among middle-aged white males, a much higher percentage in rural populations and Mm -hmm. agricultural industries. We need people. We have some wonderful initiatives going with agricultural companies with some of our programs. That needs to be more so. And if, if anyone listening is in a rural community, we need more what I call natural helpers. We don't, mm-hmm. the clinicians, well, first of all, do people have in, uh, insurance to go to a clinician? Well, they, if we have the proper kind of training, we can make an intervention and save a life and then listen to people and help them along the way. Any good clinician will literally research a person's world and find out who the wise people are in their life and what they would tell them and who else needs to know. Because we want to mobilize all the people in that Mm -hmm. person's world, not just that I'm the end all and be all of knowledge for that person who is now disclosed they're thinking of suicide. So that's why the church is such a powerful place, Mm -hmm. filled with natural helpers. So teachers, coaches, janitors, bartenders, barbers, stylists, we need a lot more people training Mm. in suicide intervention skills, natural helpers. Mm. And to follow that line, Glenn, help us understand what parts of the training are available online, what parts are available and required to be in person. A a listener may be sitting here that goes to church, Mm. but maybe they're a stylist and they're going, wow, I Mm -hmm. listen to things all day long. Where do they go? Right. Well, We've got uh, two fully online programs. One of them is Living Works Start. It's a 90-minute program. It's under $30. It can be viewed on all platforms, a tablet, a smartphone, your computer, 24-7 access. It's skill-based. You must practice before you complete and get your certificate. It's very interactive. You use your microphone to record your voice. It's, it's a very powerful tool. Then our next program for ministry leaders is called Living Works Faith. It covers prevention, intervention, using the START program, and postvention. How to provide long-term care to do a funeral, a memorial, how to go immediately after there's been a death or an attempt, what to expect, how to be prepared to walk in the door. Mm. That program is about six hours and can all be done online. We've also facilitated that for ministry networks where a number of people will take the online program and then we will have webinars and 
times where we can get into small groups and discuss more and come up with strategies and things to do in regional areas. Our other two programs are Legacy Programs, Living Works, Safe Talk, half a day, three and a half to four hours. I have a contextualization module that will make that applicable. So assist and safe talk, and assist is our two-day. So safe talk, four hours, assist, two-day. Those are trainings for anyone and everyone. They are not faith integrated, and neither is START. Living Works Faith is for Christian ministry leaders. We -hmm. talk about theology. We talk about biblical areas where suicide Mm -hmm. is mentioned. It's the only program of its kind right now that's online, that is interactive, and it tells stories of many, many clergy who were prepared and not prepared, and there's a learner's guide. It's very unique. So those are our our programs, our legacy face-to-face programs and our online offerings. Glenn, amazing. I think what we want to carry away from this is just that there's hope. That Absolutely. Just yes. to hear to hear the program that you have, all of the programs for every walk of society, but is being a part of the faith-based community to hear the program, Living Works Faith, to hear the programs that you have for pastors or ministry leaders, youth leaders, I think is just is encouraging that we are making inroads and and I know a lot of churches, like you said, are certainly open, or maybe they have had some training, but we just really want to encourage those that are listening to reach out. And so what would be the best contact information, Glenn, your website, phone? Wh- how shall people get in contact with you and pastors get in contact? Well, there's always, if they're interested in any of our programs, to go to www.livingworks.net and click on our trainings. Living Works has 6,000 trainers for face-to-face trainings across the world. We train 300,000 people a year in English-speaking countries. So we're not just a little nonprofit. They can get in touch with me at Glenn Bloomstrom, B-L-O-O-M-S-T-R-O-M, at livingworks.net. And also there, there's a little video about Living Works Faith and Living Works Start. And please, I'd be happy to talk to anyone who might like to do a facilitated training with Living Works Faith. We're just looking for early adopters who have a passion for getting this started. We have some in South Carolina where two, about 120 faith leaders went through our Living Works Faith program. It's very exciting. We did the facilitation. We've done some continuing education also with some seminaries, but we would love to see a lot more pick up on this. So thanks for the opportunity. I just can't Mm -hmm. thank you enough, Mike and Melinda, for making this a topic, especially this month in Suicide Prevention Month. Oh, thank you, Glenn. And and Mike, I'm sure you agree that if if anyone didn't get all of the information, they can certainly reach out to us as well. And we can connect them. And and Mike, I always ask Mike to (laughs) give the uh, contact information just in case so that we can also connect people to you, Glenn. Thank yeah, you so much. Absolutely. www.safehiringsolutions.com and all of our contact information, emails, forms, phone numbers, everything is on the website. But we would absolutely be more than excited to connect you with Glenn. Really important. And we appreciate it, Glenn. It's a lot of information in a short 30 minutes or so. But this is a really, really 
important yes. topic. Yes. And we encourage anyone listening to the podcast, hey, share the link. We put the links up on the website. Share it with your pastor. Share it with your youth leaders. Share it share it to any leader, any community person that you feel really needs to hear so that we can get people plugged in and, and do what we want to do is save lives. So Glenn, again, thank you. And we look forward to another podcast soon. Thank you. This podcast is sponsored by Safe Hiring Solutions, a nationwide company that offers comprehensive, industry-leading, real-time security solutions for companies, schools, churches, and nonprofit organizations.